Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of Mark chapter 4. And um, I want to go to verse number 35. And with the help of the Lord, I want to uh, I want us to make a journey together. Mark four and, and thirty five, and um, we'll read down through about Revelation. And uh, <laughs> the book of Mark chapter. I was just wanting to make sure you're with me tonight. The book of Mark chapter four and verse thirty five. The Bible says, In the same day when the evening when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he, of course, the he in this passage of scripture is Jesus. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said, one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. Um, I want to choose for a topic this evening, the interim between. The interim between. And let's just pray over the word of the Lord. Can we do that? I love you today. And I thank you very, very much, Lord, for the privilege to be able to, to preach and teach from the Bible and to share your truths. Lord, I want to try very, very hard tonight, very intentional about not just inserting my own ideas and opinions. But Lord, let's just let your word be the lamp and the light in our lives that we need so desperately this evening. Touch us and strengthen us now in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I believe that it is imperative that we understand that the word of God... <clears throat> excuse me, that the Bible is filled with many things. It is certainly a book of instruction. It's a book of correction. It's a book of, of admonitions. It's a book of real life stories. And uh, among the word of the Lord and among all of those things, it's also a book filled with parables, illustrations, and um, something that I always say helps put the fruit on a low-hanging limb where we can get it, kind of make sense and bring it into living color. When we are reading in the, in the Scripture, and especially when we're, when we're reading about parables, um, Jesus and other writers wrote uh, in the context of their day. 
And so uh, when we read about uh, certain things, it may be a little bit um, out of sync with where we are today in the 21st century in our mind, but certainly to the audience, they understood exactly what the Lord was speaking about or what the writers were speaking about. I think one of the things that we can never afford to lose sight of is the fact that the Word of God is certainly full of direct instructions and direct promises, and it is filled with parables, but it is also a book that is filled with principles. And so if we're going to live our whole life by saying, well, I'm going to need book, chapter, and verse for that, then we're going to miss some powerful, powerful principles of the Word of God because there are some things in Scripture that are not necessarily spelled out in black and white, thou shalt not, but there are overlapping principles that speak glaringly to those particular subjects. And so I think it's very important that we understand that, especially when you're reading the Bible or studying the Bible. And, um, and so we need to understand that it's a book filled with principles. An illustration often used is when the Scripture says in the book of Proverbs that if we train up a, a child in the way they should go, that if they if they they would there's something going to be in them, I mean there's something that'll never be out of them, and we have to understand that many times people have read that as a promise, and not as a principle. Amen. Because every human being has their own self will, and we can never discount somebody's ability to choose yes or choose no. And so, but I do firmly believe that it is a powerful principle that if we train up a child in the way they should go, that when they get old, that they will not depart from that in their mind and their heart, no matter where they are right now. If you have children that are away from the Lord or family members or friends that are away from the Lord, the Word of God is the Word of God. And that truth is right there. That hope is right there. It's a lamp. It's a light. And so we have to understand that. So the Scripture... It's not, just, uh, it's not just a book of promises, it's a book of, pr- of principles. And so uh, this evening I'm taking a little extra time to underline that because I want to talk about a few principles. And uh, I, I, obviously there's some characters in this story and there's some real life things in this story. Um, there, were this, there were the disciples and of course there were Jesus and uh, there was a life-threatening storm. In addition to those three obvious things, the Bible talks about that they were in a ship. And then Mark, in his writing, takes the time to mention that there were with them other little ships. So were there a lot of moving parts in this story and uh, these all, all of these things. And so when we consider the book of Mark, even consider the verses that I've read, millions of people, no doubt, have taught and preached from these very passages of Scripture that I'm speaking from tonight. I'm not just talking about the Bible in general or the Bible at large, but certainly just in these few passages of Scripture and this one story. And uh, I I have no idea how many times through the years uh, that I have spoken from this passage, whether it's been formally like this evening or informally one-on-one, but I'll promise you after all of the years and after millions and millions of speakers, there's a lot of meat still left on the bone right here in this passage. And so um, I don't want to, this evening I'm not going to talk about the storm or I'm not going to talk about the ships, but I want to just focus on some of the principles that are found in the story. In particular, Jesus was taking his disciples to a place that they had never been before. 
And I speak of that in a very literal sense. They were going to the country of the Gadarenes, and that's, it's very important to know that, and that's a very intricate part of the story because they were, we use the term sometimes, in uncharted waters. Well, certainly the disciples were in uncharted waters. They were going to a place that they had never gone before, and they were taken to a gospel. They were going to a, to a people to take the gospel to those who had never heard the saving message of Jesus Christ. And so there's a few things that kind of hover over some of the principles of this story, and that is that the disciples could consider at least three things. They could consider, if we're just going to take this one little segment out of the scripture for tonight's lesson, if we could consider that, that they would had a clear understanding of where they had been, they had a clear understanding of where they were, and they understood where they were going. Amen. Now, those are important things, and um, I think they all play a little bit of a role here this evening for all of us. But I want to focus on a small but significant season of this story. They had been on the other side. The Bible just talks about that Jesus was in the boat and he was teaching a multitude of people that had gathered on the shore to hear him speak. And the Bible says at the beginning of chapter 4 that he taught them many things by parable. And so he was teaching them, and he's using real-life illustrations. As a matter of fact, according to that very passage of Scripture, that he used no other method in this particular lesson or in this particular setting. He used no other method but parables. And so he was relating to them uh, some scriptural truths, and he was trying to put it in a way that all of them could comprehend that and grasp that. I think it's fair to say that we have probably all or at least most all, been in that setting, in both of those settings. We've been in the setting where somebody was speaking and we just didn't get it. It'd be all right just to nod. It just We just couldn't make the sense of it. And I'm not saying it was a speaker's fault. It, it could have had, there could be a lot of things that come into play there. And then we've also been in those settings where we went, I get that. Those aha moments where something just made sense. And so he was teaching many things in parables. Everything that he taught was in a parable. And, uh, and then the Bible talks about him taking a few moments alone with the disciples. He sends the multitude away, and there's just this moment frozen in time where he is with the disciples. And he, the Scripture talks about him expounding on some of the things that he had been teaching. Now, when I read that particular passage of Scripture or I read that little portion of the story, and just forgive this personal illustration here, but I've had the privilege through, uh, through the years to interact with ministers after they get through preaching, whether we are out to eat or in some cases here when they're in our home. And in, in that moment, if you'll just follow me here, in that moment of saturation, in that moment where somebody has been anointed of the Lord and, and there's just a lot of things going on in their heart and their mind, many times it's difficult, if not impossible, to discharge it all. Sometimes after church, after you're gone, sometimes when I am at home, there is a little residue left over in my heart and my mind. Sometimes my wife is in the direct path of that. <laughs> Of that, and so I share with her, and and she's just thrilled beyond the telling. Now she's containing herself pretty good right now, but she's just thrilled beyond the telling. 
I'm just teasing, but but I've had the, the opportunity that while something was still resonating in their heart, they just expounded on that a little bit further, not trying to re-preach that. Does that make sense? But just, just something's in your mind. And so when I read that passage of Scripture, in many, in many ways, Sister Mary, I feel like I've been in that position before where somebody just got through teaching something still bubbling in their soul and they just shared a little bit, and that's what I sort of feel like, at least in my mind, that Jesus was doing here at this moment. And he, and he just shares with them something that went beyond the parables that he told those that were on the, the side of that hill that day. And so I just imagine that at that particular moment, I'm just using myself here and thinking about myself, but I just imagine at that particular moment that spiritually they are just filled to the brim. I mean, they just heard some great, great, great teaching, everyday illustrations. The Lord just brought it home, and then one-on-one, he just kind of hammers that in just a little bit deeper, and at this very intricate moment in time, if we could just play this frame by frame, they hear the Lord say something quite interesting when he said, let us pass over unto the other side. So you following that? Here's the multitude. He's teaching them. He's putting it on a low limb where they can all get it. They have a moment of time where Jesus underlines, underscores, expounds, ex- expands rather their minds just a little bit more about those things. And then, and then all of a sudden he said, let us pass over to the other side. Well, these men understood where they were and they also now understand where they're going. That the mission of ministering to the Gadarenes had never had had never been placed before them at this time. And so if you just think about that with me, if you will, that the Lord speaks to them that they're going to a new place or they're going to another level. Now, it's not going to be newfangled. It's not going to be a new doctrine. It's not going to be church in a different way, but they're just going in an uncharted path. And there had to be a measure of excitement in that alone, I think at least, because I think it's exciting to go to a new place. You know, uh, when we're out of town, uh, sometimes we, you know, if you go to Applebee's in Florida, it's like going to Applebee's in Indianapolis because it's the same menu for the most part. They're getting the food from the same vendor for the most part. And so if you've had an Applebee's hamburger at home and you've had one in California, you've probably had about the same experience. And so from time to time, I don't always, sometimes this gets vetoed, but uh, I like to go to some place where it's a little bit different because I want to check that out. Several years ago before my son and Sarah, uh, Justin and Sarah got married, uh, we made a little father-son trip several days we spent together. And one of the packs that we made is that we would not eat in a chain or a franchise restaurant and we would just we would make sure that some little town whatever town we went into that we would eat it there and just try to experience that one of those places was called Rosie's Diner we went into Rosie's Diner and we we figured out in in quick fashion where we were or at least the atmosphere because there was a big sign that when you walk in it said welcome to Rosie's Diner or Rosie's Cafe this is not Burger King, and you can't have it your way. I immediately wanted to meet Rosie. And Rosie was there, the salty sort of person. And when you met Rosie, you realized 
you better be straight right here because Rosie's going to lead you out to the front door. You're on a, you're on a short leash right here at Rosie's. And, uh, and so it's just that there's something exciting about being at a new place, and there can be something disappointing about being in some of those places, but there's something exciting about going to a new place. A few days ago, my wife and I had to make a trip down to Tampa, and there were two really, really bad accidents on the interstate, and the interstate was all but essentially closed down. And so we had to get off of the beaten path. And after having both of us been born and raised in Florida, we were riding on roads that, that neither one of us had ever been on before. And so we find ourselves, uh, we're going to be much, much later than we thought we were going to be, but it was exciting. And we've already decided that we want to try to find that same path and go that way again because there's just something about new things, exciting about there's something exciting about that. And so I didn't mean to spend that much time, but there's just something exciting about going to another place. Amen. I'm not just talking about restaurants, and I'm not just talking about highways now. There's something about the Lord leading us to another place. And so I understand the story at the center of our thought here this evening is a geographic location. We are here, and the Lord is saying we need to go here but I believe that we can see the spiritual aspect of this as well. Amen. We can know some things about where we have been spiritually. We can also know some things about where we are spiritually. But I also believe that God can give us a glimpse into our future. Amen. I'm not talking about palm reading and all that kind of thing. I'm just saying that God can just raise you up above the shadows and he can let you see a little bit of where he is leading you. And so I think the most important thing that we can consider in that, in that particular season of our lives is this. What are we going to do in that interim between where we are right now and where God is leading us to? Amen. And so with that, I hope to make a little bit of sense of that. How are we going to conduct ourselves and what are we going to do in between here and let us go over to the other side. How are we going to handle the trip in between? And so the message for us tonight, I believe, is no different than the message for those men that were aboard those ships on this stormy night in question. While it's obvious that we uh, all have and should have at least a, a, de a desire to do something for God and a desire to be a part of the kingdom of God, we must never forget that God will always... I want to say it again. God will always test the trueness of that desire. He will always test the trueness of that desire. We are all guilty. We have been caught up in a service or in a meeting of sorts. It may have been just one service or a succession of services where the Spirit of the Lord kind of lifted us up and we thought in our mind, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that or uh, this is going to be a, a, a new pattern in my life. But God is going to test that. He's going to test the metal of that. He's going to try that just to see. Amen. God is going to test that in some way, some form, some fashion. And a part of that testing, a part of that testing is transition. And we can never experience a change in our life without having some measure of change or transition in our life. The word transition merely means this. It's a process or a period in which something undergoes a change or it passes from one state 
to another state or from one stage to another stage or from one form to another form or from one activity to another activity. There's something about transition. It is a time of change. And so there are times, again, we know where we've been. Perhaps we know where we are. And to a measure, we may know where God is leading us. And so the question on the table now for our consideration is what am I going to do while God tests the trueness of my desire because I had a desire to say yes. I had a desire to say, here am I, send me. I had a desire to say, I'll fill in the gap or I'll be a part of the person or a part of the process to build that bridge. And so God says, well, we'll find out about that. Transition is probably one of the most critical times in all of our lives because it is that space of time between one chapter of our life closing and another chapter of our life opening. That's where the real test is. Often when we're thinking about something like this, certainly I've used this here and other places, the illustration of a butterfly. It's been used in the schoolhouse, everywhere from the schoolhouse to the church house. And so just bear with me for a moment. It's called Four Stages of Metamorphosis to a butterfly. The first stage is the egg stage. The life of a moth or a butterfly just starts merely with an egg and that egg comes in all shapes and sizes and eggs are always laid on or near its food source. And then there's the larva or the caterpillar stage and uh, it's that long worm-like thing. We are more accustomed to that than anything. Caterpillars have many different colors and patterns on their bodies and and, and caterpillars are in that particular stage. They are in what is referred to as the eating and the growing stage to become a butterfly. And so as it grows, it will shed its skin several times over the process of that uh, amount of time. But at all times, its body is covered. This is the stage of the butterfly before it goes to its cocoon. Amen. And then in that stage is, a, is what's known as a resting stage. It's in that final transformation here where the butterfly is going to take place. It's here. It's very critical and very important. It's right here that it's very soft and delicate and it's very vulnerable until it hardens. But this hardened shell protects the butterfly because it's making some final and critical changes. Inside, many changes are taking place because it's turning a caterpillar into a butterfly. And its, and its muscles are breaking down into mush and its legs are going to be growing and wings are going to be growing and its eyes will be growing and its antenna will be growing. And then finally, here is the adult. And this is the final stage resulting in an adult butterfly or in an adult moth. All the growing and, and all the changing is done. And I want you to hear me now. And this is where the cocoon is going to hatch and, and the butterfly or the moth is going to be there, but it's very important to understand this one thing, that even at this point, the butterfly or the moth is not ready to fly. Everything's in place. Everything is there. Everything it needs to be what it's going to be is there, but it's not time to fly. They have wings, but they're wet, and they're crumpled from the hatching of, from the cocoon. And they have got to let them dry. There is something, and I don't want to belabor the issue, but there's something known as the pumping process where, where what we may refer to as blood is pumped into the wings. And it's a drying process. The moth dries its wings by, in some part, laying out as flat as it can. And in another portion of this stage, it hangs itself upside down. 
it could really easily be viewed as a season of inactivity because everything is there. And if we were try if we were to try to humanize or animate this butterfly at this particular moment, we could see a sense of frustration that could grow because it says I have everything that I need. I've got my legs, I've got my eyes, I've got my antenna, I've got my wings, everything is here and I just need to fly, but it's really not ready for flight yet. I mean, I think sometimes we have all perhaps found ourselves in that stage before. We look around and think everything is right here in place and why is this not happening in my life or why is this not happening here? Amen. But you see, God realizes that we're not quite ready. There's a lot of things in place, but everything is not in place. Amen. It's during this time that, that we can think nothing is going on. It's seemingly a time of inactivity. But you know what? It's in those moments of our lives that we can learn more about ourselves than any other time. It's who we really are. What we really are. In our text, there are two principles that we need to consider about the principle that's involved in this particular story. And I think this holds true all throughout our walk with God. I think there are, are, are certainly seasons in our lives where, where there's going to be two things at play. And that is that there's the true testing of the Lord, but there is also true hindrances of the enemy. I don't think we should confuse the two. I don't think we can blame everything on the devil. and We can't blame everything on God. Because sometimes God just uses life to show us a few things. God tests us to prove us to make sure that we are indeed ready for the next step. There's a big difference between riding in a car and driving a car. And all of us at some point, those that are here tonight that are old enough to have your operator's license understood that the very first time we got behind a wheel by ourselves. It was a little bit different. I'm talking about beyond the excitement, beyond that moment, it was a little bit different because you had to decide if there was really enough room to pass. You had to decide if you really could parallel park. You had to decide if you really could navigate in and out of circumstances or situations. And so God tests us to make sure we really are ready for that step. However, also we have to understand that the enemy is trying to hinder us from discovering what God wants to do in our lives. And so there's these two dynamics at play. I think there are different times in our relationship with the Lord that, that God demands of our lives a time and a season of, of testing, a time and a season of proving. I will use a couple of illustrations in, in Scripture. David, if we think about David, when we are introduced to him, he's a very young man. David in 1 Samuel chapter 17 is a very fascinating story of a young brother that is just sent to take a snack, if you please, out to his brothers. There was a dual purpose. His father is sending him not only to take a little bit of refreshment to his brothers that he knows is in a battle, but he also wants to find out how the battle is going. And when he gets there and he sees what's going on, he's incensed by the shadow that not only uh, most literally that Goliath is casting over Israel, 
but he is also incensed by the things that are being said because here is a giant that has an entire army cowering and hiding behind rocks and he's saying things like this, send me a man that we might fight. David is wondering what in the world is going on. And then it's his older brothers that start shaming him and you're not here for any other reason than just to peer into our business. You're beyond and you're outside your scope. You're in over your head. You're above your pay grade, young man. You need to get back home. Amen. It it was those voices of influence. It wasn't just what was being said, but it was who was saying it. But this was going to be a journey of self-discovery for David. There was no doubt that he suffered more than a bruised ego from those who long that he longed to really impress the most. Let me show my brothers what I'm made of and what I can do. We've all had our times of testing and proving and and God used his brothers to test him and he used Goliath to prove him. And I can tell you that you and I both have our own personal stories that we can tell that where we thought we were going to get the greatest confirmation came our greatest criticism. Amen. When my wife and I were following the call of full-time ministry, we had people that were close to us that said, you're never going to make it. Amen. And it wasn't just what was saying, what was being said, but it was the messenger. It was who was saying it. Those that you thought were really going to be in your corner and say, everything's going to be all right. We're saying, you better start selling, I don't know how many were remember this, but Shackley vitamins, they may still sell them, I don't know. But somebody even tried to hook us up selling vitamins and said, you're going to have to feed your family somehow. So wait a minute. I'm answering a call from God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he said that if I will, he will. And I would love to tell you that we just shout and spoke our tongues right, right through that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you and tell you that we had wounds that needed to be healed and hearts that needed to be mended. I'm not talking about bitterness at all, but I'm just saying that that where you think you're going to get your affirmation sometimes can be your criticism. Amen. God was in the process of, of working on David, and he is in the process of working on us. And can I tell you this, that, that God not only has to work some things out of us, but he has to work some things into us. Amen. And so the Lord was massaging and working on David and he was in the process of getting some in him and some out of him. When we think about Joseph in Genesis 37, and what an incredible story the story of Joseph is from beginning to end. From the time of his dream until, until he finally got to where God was pointing to him that he would be was a season of, of nearly 14 years. I'm going to tell you, when Joseph woke up from those dreams, he had the assumption that by next Tuesday, (laughs) this time next month, you're going to be calling me, sir. But it was anything but. But the Lord left out that little small detail that this is going to take years, years. And there's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows. Amen. He was sold as a common slave. I know many of you know the story, but for the sake of those who don't, and if you do, it's a good reminder. He was sold as a common slave. 
He was betrayed and forsaken. Not even uh, He was even abandoned by his own family, but he wasn't just betrayed by his own family, but he was betrayed and forsaken by so-called friends that he met along the way. He didn't have the approval of his brothers, but he had the favor of God, and that's what we need. And he had a dream that he refused to let go of. Like, like, uh, like Joshua and Caleb. Caleb said, I, I, may be, I may be decades down the road now from where I was when I first walked to that mountain, but I believe I can remember the stake that I drove down the day I called this mountain mine, and I'm able to go, and I'm able to take this. So the journey for Joseph was a very insightful expedition. He wasn't merely marking time. We could think, well, Joseph lost all of those years and how are you ever gonna be able to make up all of those years? But can I tell you that if we handle ourselves correctly and if we handle ourselves in a a favorable way during that interim between the things that we think are downtime, the seasons that we think we're just kind of resting on our laurels, God is working something out of us and he's working something into us and Joseph was learning something about a lot of things along the way. He found out what was within him. Amen. He, he, saw, he saw some of the best in people and he saw some of the worst in people. Amen. He saw the best in his father. He saw the best in the Pharaoh. He saw the worst in his brothers. He saw the worst in the in Pharaoh's wife. He saw the worst in the butler. He saw the worst in the baker. Can I tell you that Joseph was on an eye-opening journey, but it would all been missed if he hadn't gotten bitter and distracted, if he hadn't gotten in a season and said, you know what, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to cash it in. Amen. But he's found something inside of him, and it was an incredible journey. It was an in- Incredible journey. He went from a starry-eyed young man with a dream of doing something awesome for the Lord to a prisoner and all points in between, but he became the second in command in all of Egypt. It was how he handled himself in those silent years in between that God doesn't say, let me tell you what's going on. Amen. I don't want you to answer this question to me or publicly, but have you ever been one of those in one of those seasons where God is just silent, but you know he's present. Amen. I would be remiss if we passed by the subject as important as the one that we're talking about tonight and failed to mention a man by the name of Gideon in Judges 6. We find him in this chapter threshing wheat by the wine press. Two things that don't seem to go together. It was from this vantage point of a man threshing wheat at a wine press that an angel appears and calls him a mighty man of valor. Now that had to be pretty shocking news for Gideon because he's threshing wheat. And if you'll just read it slow and let your mind just wonder and paint in and color in some of the corners some of these stories can be much more vivid. I, I envision a man with wheat husk all over him and sweat dripping from his brow. And God says, thou mighty man of valor. Hot, sweaty, and tired. He didn't feel like a mighty man of valor. He didn't look like a mighty man of valor. But that's what the angel of the Lord said. It wasn't the only instance in Scripture where, where God took someone from an agricultural background and setting and, 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 and lifted them up through the ranks and took them to a, a place of, of tremendous leadership. In Judges 3, we are introduced to a man by the name of Shamgar. 
and, it, and uh, apparently from Scripture, there's not a lot of detail here, but, but apparently from Scripture, Shamgar was a plowman. Amen. The Bible says in Judges 3 and 31 that he slew many Philistines with his ox goad, and he became one of the deliverers of Israel. <laughs> Amen. So here was a man that just used what he had in his hand, and he used it as a weapon to defeat the enemy, and God elevated him to deliver Israel. He was just one of many that delivered Israel. I mean, there's a lot of similarity between Shamgar and Gideon. Gideon was threshing wheat, the Bible says, by the wine press, which would have been a place of privacy or a, or a place of, of seclusion. Gideon could not, he did not have the privilege of taking his threshing floor outside. He couldn't do that in the light of day. He couldn't do that in the public setting where others could find out about it because you see what was going on at that particular time was that the Midianites were accustomed to letting others thresh their wheat. And once they got all of their wheat in place, then the Midianites would swoop in and they would steal the seed. They would take everything away. And so Gideon knew that the Midianites are only waiting for me to get done. And so if I set out, if I set my threshing floor up outside, they're just going to come in and rob me blind. And so Gideon just gets enough wheat for the day, enough wheat for the week. He gets just enough to sustain he and his family, and he hides behind the wine press. Now, they would generally do this in a much larger scale with some type of big wheel running over the grain or even the ox treading out the grain somehow to break the husk. But here is Gideon. He's just got a few sheaves from the field. He brought them home. He's privately, he's privately behind the wine press just trying to eke out enough to feed his family. Amen. But it was from this unorthodox position that God sent an angel and said, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Amen. What are you doing, Gideon? Why are you behind the wine press? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was keeping his heart right with God. He was keeping himself open to the voice of the Lord. It appears to me and would seem apparent that somewhere along the line, I know that I have been guilty and others about talking about Gideon as being somewhat of a coward but I, I believe really and truly in my heart that somewhere along the line Gideon had proven himself and God knew I can trust him I can trust him because you see God cho chooses those who in their natural life qualifies themselves for his purpose because if we can't be faithful in small things I promise you God's not just going to take you to some great zenith and make you ruler over all we got to first be faithful in the small things. In those small things is where God can show us a whole lot about ourselves. You see, often the people that are the greatest are, are perhaps used greatly in the kingdom of God. Others would maybe consider them the most unlikely candidate of all time. This past Friday night, my wife and I had the privilege of being with Brother and Sister Wolf in Tampa. Brother Wolf was raised in West Virginia, in Brother J.C. Cole's church, and, and, um, and that would be the Cole family of, of where Billy Cole comes from. And if you know anything about uh, the United Pentecostal Church missions program and, and works overseas, you would certainly recognize the name of Billy Cole. Billy Cole, who and he and his wife were so greatly and mightily used of the Lord 
but I was privileged to hear, not for the first time, but privileged to hear about the young man, Billy Cole, growing up. You see, he was, we just know him as a tremendous preacher and a man of faith and a man who's had um, so many, so many things. I don't know, there's just so much that could be said about the life and the ministry of, of Brother Billy Cole. But he wasn't always that powerhouse because at some point he was a teenager trying to find his way in the home church. At some point, he was a young man trying to make his way in life and just trying to figure out how all of this works and how do you connect this end to that end. And, and he was just being faithful to God. And he answered the call of the Lord. And they went overseas, and it, and it didn't all break open overnight. But you see, God was just working something in him and working something out of him. Amen. And so sometimes the most unlikely candidates are those that God just reaches down and says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to do great things in your life. I want to bring this to a close. The musicians, you can just stay if you'd like. But I just want to recap a few things that stood out to me. The disciples in Mark 4 discovered something about themselves. They had... They had been there when he was teaching those people on the hillside and they had heard all of those parables and there is no doubt in my mind they were nodding their heads saying, boy, that makes sense. I can understand that. I can relate to that. Church is over. The crowd is dismissed. They were warming their hands over that personal conversation where the Lord was saying, now this is what I was trying to say. and This is what I was trying to drive home. And they were there. They were there. And from this great moment of faith, he said, let's go to the other side. There's no doubt in my mind that when the boat turned and set sail, they thought in their own heart and mind, if we've ever been ready for a new level, we're ready now. And then all of a sudden the wind starts blowing and the water starts tossing. And after a while, they find themselves with their sandals wet because they're in a boat, but the waters that it was now full is what the Bible says. And they woke him up, Master. You don't, you don't care that we perish? And he said, oh, your faith is nowhere near where it needs to be. In that small season of time, that interim between where they thought we've got this. They said, we're going to die. But can I tell you that if Jesus is with us, we're not going to die. Amen. David, who had a genuine love and a genuine passion for the kingdom of God, had to find himself in a very, very low state to ever realize that God really has his hand on my life and God is really in control. David had to understand that I'm not just a shepherd, but I am a God-called and ordained leader of Israel. Joseph had to come to the place where he got it. I'm not just a daddy's boy. 
but somebody else sees something in me. Amen. Gideon had to finally come to a place that he recognized, I am a man of courage. I am, I am a man that can follow the leading of the Lord. He had to awaken himself. And so tonight, I just say that, that what we have to really be careful of is not what we're doing during the high times when everything is popping and everything is right in tune and everything is in harmony, but it's in that season where nothing makes sense and we're like the butterfly and I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence, but we're looking around and we're seeing that everything is in place and the Lord has still got his hand on us. Everything is there, but you see the wings are not dry and they're not strengthened, but you just keep doing what you're doing and God is putting something in us and he's taking something out of us. Amen. What we do in that interim between is so critical that I keep my heart right and my spirit right and that, that I stay sensitive to the mind of God and the voice of God. It is very sad to say, but it is unavoidable that sometimes people grow different, indifferent and bitter and hard and calloused in those seasons of uncertainty and they find themselves run aground on the shore of life when God was trying to do something powerful in their life and I will say it again, that, 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 that God used the brothers to test David, but he used Goliath to prove him. And so sometimes in all of our working, if we are not affirmed by the voices that we thought should be affirming us, can I tell you that if you won't disconnect and if you'll listen intently, somewhere in the background, you're going to hear an affirming voice that says, it's all going to be all right. Praise God. I want you to stand with me, if you will. Amen. I feel like the Lord has just spoken something into our heart here tonight. Amen. I really do. Lord, I'm asking us to, to be sensitive to your spirit and be sensitive to your voice. Amen. Amen. I don't want to just belabor any issues tonight, but and, and I, I want to make sure that I cover something because I'll I'll, I'll I'll beat myself up tonight when I get home over this if I don't say it. I don't think that we should try to become something for God just to prove the naysayers wrong. We're doing the right thing for the wrong reason then. <laughs> you don't want to have some wonderful moment that God has presented an open platform and I mean I don't mean that necessarily in a literal way but it may be in a literal way where where we have finally God has placed us where he had shown us so long ago we would be and you don't want to take the mic and say to all my critics <laughs> you don't want to take the mic and say to everybody who never thought I would make it look at me now that's not what I'm saying at all I don't think David had to say that to his brothers his life spoke for himself. Joseph did not have to. You read the story of Joseph and a man ever kept his heart right. He kept his heart right. When he realized it was his brothers, he went in the back and he hid himself and he wept, got himself together and come back out. It was a moment he could have snuffed them out and crushed them to dust, but he didn't. He didn't. And you see, it wasn't what he did right then that put him in that position. It was that God knew when he gave him the dream, I can trust him with this. He, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rub him. I'm going to rub him raw. I'm going to put him here high and low. 
But you see, he's got the right thing in his heart and he'll make it. And God knows that now. And so what God sees in us, amen, let's allow him to cultivate that in us. What do you say? Amen. Lord, I love you today. I thank you for the privilege to be able to speak your tremendous word to these wonderful people. And I'm asking you tonight, God, help us that we don't just hear this with our ear and ignore it somewhere down the road. But I pray tonight, God, that your spirit will speak loudly and that there will be a confirming word in this this evening. And I pray that you can take us. And I believe tonight that you've not just spoken to us individually, but I believe that you have spoken to us collectively as a church as well. And I ask you tonight, God, to let your This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.